The Insurance and Injury Law Show, the number anytime to get a hold of Savan, 416-216-5910, and it is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to a very nifty tool called the Injury Calculator here in just a few minutes, but we always start the show and give you a little uh, perspective on the real world. That is the week that was. That's right, John. Let's start off with uh, a few interesting cases, and these are real-life cases. They're people who have contacted us. Uh, either through uh, the websites we have, mydisabilityquestions.com, myaccidentquestions.com, or just sending us direct emails uh, or leaving us messages, and then we connect with them. So let me tell you about this one individual that really hits home on pretty much everything we do at the firm. I'm talking about employment, human rights, uh, long-term disability, car accident, the the whole gamut of things. I'm going to change the name of this individual because we're probably going to be starting uh, two claims for her very soon. So I'll say her name is Jennifer. She's from the Curtis area, the Oshawa area. She had a car accident where she was at fault uh, in September of 2015. So last year. Uh, Okay, so she was at fault. But remember, even if you are at fault for a car accident, you're entitled to accident benefits from your own insurance company. Okay, that's one of the reasons you pay auto insurance for. And so she had those. At the same time, she's been working for a few years uh, for an employer. And, of course, after the accident, she was injured. She suffered back injuries. Uh, She suffered a foot injury, which has resolved. But really, she's having these chronic type of issues that we we often see with people in uh, more traumatic car accidents where they have uh, chronic back pain, neck pain, things like that. And uh, so so here's the deal, John. She has not been able to go back to work. She tried, uh, and, and she failed. She wasn't able to. She was in extreme pain. But here's the interesting thing. Uh, Before the accident, she had actually switched family doctors. And the family doctor that she went to after the uh, car accident is a doctor that apparently works with her employer. Uh, You know, you do have these situations happen where companies have doctors that they work with in in the industry. So in this situation, this lady, Jennifer, uh, who is employed by this company, goes to this doctor with whom her employer has a relationship with. Oh, boy. So, you know, let's fast track here. Uh, She's unable to go back to work. And guess what? She has long-term disability coverage uh, that she had been paying for. Mm -hmm. And so she applied to the insurance company. And guess what? She is denied. And to top everything off, she was fired by her employer because she wasn't able to go back to work. Seriously. So, of course, she contacts Lior uh, because she's asking Lior, do I have entitlements to severance? Well, not only does she have entitlement to severance, there's obviously a human human rights rights issue here. And guess what, John? There's probably going to be something we can do potentially with the car accident with her insurance company for the fact that she was cut off from them and for the fact that her long-term disability insurance company said, no, we are denying your claim because you don't meet the definition of totally disabled. This lady is unable to go back to work. I mean, I asked her point blank, can you go back to work, to your work and, or any other work? Can you actually sit there for seven or eight hours at a desk and can you actually do work? No, I can't, not at this point. But guess what? The doctor that she's going to, right, the family doctor who has a relationship with her employer, what does he say to her when she wants to appeal the decision of the disability insurer? He says, don't bother appealing. Many people have back pain. You should be trying to go back to work. You should be going to work. So, you know what? First of all, it's very unusual for me to hear that a family doctor is not supporting the the individual that they're treating, particularly since this lady, and I was on the phone with her for the good part of, uh, of probably 40 minutes, and I'll tell you, I can sense bull a mile away, having done a lot of defense work in the past. 
she's not a complainer. She's not one of those people who just, you know, sits home and does nothing. She tried to go back to work. And mitigate. And mitigate. You got it. But here's the interesting thing. Her doctor, her family doctor, is saying to her, no, I'm not going to support you with your disability claim. I don't think you should be uh, fighting your disability insurer. A very unusual position. And then I learn, of course, that, well, this doctor has a relationship with her employer. Remember how I talked before, John, about what happens if you're in a car accident and the insurance company, your insurance company, says to you, here's uh, a list of our preferred health clinics that you should go to. And I tell you, stay away from those clinics because those clinics, if they're on a preferred list with an insurance company, it means that they are, you know, at least perceived to be in conflict with the insurance company. If you are going to a family doctor, if you're going to a specialist, if you're going to any clinic that is going to treat you, you want them to be as far removed as possible from anyone that may have any bearing on your case, whether it's an insurance company, an employer, etc. So my advice to her was, and my advice to anyone in you know, a situation where you have a doctor that's not uh, supporting you and you legitimately feel that you are disabled, get a referral to, let's say, a chronic pain specialist, right? If your injuries or your disability is ongoing, uh, switch doctors. Yeah. I'm not saying go doctor shopping. I'm just saying that if there is a perceived conflict of interest, if your doctor is working with the insurance company, if your doctor has a relationship with your employer, you know, if any of those kinds of situations occur, then you going to your family doctor may put that doctor in conflict. Again, perhaps not actual conflict, but at least in my mind, perceived conflict. And, and you know, it's very concerning. So I told her what she needs to do, and we're probably going to end up starting a claim against the insurance company because clearly she's unable to go back to work. And uh, Lior's group is going to help her with the employment situation and the human rights issue. Absolutely. And, you know, but all these things are together. And and the good thing is that we can deal with all of these issues in-house. Yeah. Stacey Evangelion, employment law and injury law. Absolutely. And oftentimes, yeah, and and oftentimes we have... um, we have people who, who, who are literally dealing with two or three or four issues uh, in parallel, right? I mean, you're having issues with your employer because you are injured or you are disabled. You're having issue with the disability insurance company. You're having an issue with perhaps a human rights issue. There's a whole gamut of issues that we deal with, and they're all intertwined. Nice. And, and so it's so crucial when you have you know, a team that really understands all these issues, because guess what? If you only went to an employment law firm or an injury law firm, the right hand may not know what the left hand you is bet. doing, and they may end up working against each other. 416-216-5910. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots more of the show come up. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's right here on Talk Radio, AM 640. Insurance and Injury Law Show. Anytime you need to get a hold of Savan, very simple. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to some emails as we uh, go throughout the show here. We're continuing with the week that was. Some real-life cases brought to you and give you some light on uh, on what really happens down there and how you handle them, yeah? Yeah, exactly. And these questions are really applicable to, uh, to, to, to a lot of people out there and oftentimes people find themselves in these situations and they don't know who to ask these questions of uh, they may have a paralegal they may have a lawyer but you know unfortunately john they're unable to reach these people yeah. and, and it's a sad uh, commentary on our profession that uh, people feel like they have to chase down a lawyer and when the lawyer finally gets back to them uh, the lawyer makes it seem like it's a favor that he or she's calling the client back which is again a huge no-no uh, at our firm so let, let me tell you about another uh, interesting situation. I have an ongoing case right now. It's a client uh, out west near London, Ontario. Uh, he was in a pretty bad car accident, spent um, uh, several months in the hospital. He's an elderly gentleman. And uh, we're dealing primarily with a son-in-law, uh, a very intelligent gentleman. 
And I had a conversation with that gentleman about uh, what happens down the road with his father-in-law's case. Uh, and, And specifically with the issue of, are we going to be retaining any experts? This individual, the elder individual who was in the accident, suffered uh, some fractures. And of course, he has orthopedic surgeons, uh, treating surgeons uh, who we're going to be getting their files down the road from, you know, to get make sure that we have the entire medical file from them so we can provide that to the insurance company. Right. But the question that uh, the son-in-law posed to me, which was an interesting one, was, you know, why is it that uh, we have to, at some point later on, hire our own experts, and I'll talk about that in a second, what that means, as opposed to simply directing our inquiries to the treating orthopedic surgeons and ask them for their opinions. So, for example, I could be asking them, you know, what is your prognosis of this person's injuries in the future? What do you think that person needs at home in terms of assistive devices? Uh, Do you think that person will need to have surgery again? You know, all these kinds of questions that surgeons are typically able to, to provide answers to. Uh, but what's the reason for us to actually go outside of the treating practitioners exactly. uh, and, and go directly to experts? And, and those experts, by the way, are people in the same field, other surgeons perhaps. Well, here's the reason. First of all, both uh, sets of, uh, of specialists play a vital role in, in almost any case that we deal with, a serious case. Why? Because a treating specialist has intimate knowledge of that uh, individual that they were treating. Yeah. Uh, they may have seen them once, twice, three times, ten times. Who knows? They're going to have a lot of notes. They know how to read their own notes. The history. Uh, they have the history. They've dealt with the individual. So they have a better sense of what it is that, that, that uh, you know, th- that they can tell us about this individual. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that goes a long way because, you know, down the road when we have to persuade an insurance company to pay a certain amount of compensation, if I point to the treating specialist and I say, look, this is what this individual who is, you know, somebody with obviously a lot of education, a lot of experience is telling me, you guys should listen to that person. That person is not a hired gun, so to speak. So then the question is, well, why is it that we need also these hired guns? Why do we need to retain experts who did not treat our clients? Well, the reason, because they serve a different purpose. Oftentimes when we uh, retain experts, let's say an orthopedic surgeon that specializes in knees, as an example, there's one individual uh, who I specifically go to often, uh, who's one of the top guys in the country, and, and all he does are knee replacements, hip replacements. I mean, he's an expert in his field. Why would I have a client seen by him and get a report from him? Well, because he did not treat my clients. So he can be technically objective. He has no stake, right? If you're the surgeon and you perform surgery on my client, you may, you know, have a more rosy picture of what you think my client's prognosis is going to be because you're the one who did the surgery. Exactly. And that's not to say that, you know, their opinions are flawed. It's just to say that perhaps it's nice to have, in addition to the treating uh, surgeon's opinion, also another objective opinion, someone who can simply look at all the records, examine my client, and give me, quote-unquote, an objective report unbiased, of what... Unbiased, right? exactly. Yeah. Someone that can yeah. tell me, listen, Sivan, this is what I think uh, of your client's prognosis. I agree or disagree with what the treating surgeon is saying. So, so imagine that when we go then to the insurance company and we present them with both reports... Hopefully, you know, they correlate. Hopefully, they, they, you know, they say the same thing. Exactly. Uh, But but if they do, it's extremely powerful because here you have the treating surgeon and you have someone who is, you know, unbiased, essentially, somebody who is simply looking at this as an an observant, as a third party. 
that has expertise in the field, uh, and both of them are saying the exact same thing, it makes it extremely difficult for the insurance company to hit back. So again, it's about leveraging the resources that we have. And unfortunately, John, when I used to do defense work, well, I guess not unfortunately, when I was a defense lawyer, uh, working for insurance companies, we would come across, I would come across a lot of files, a lot of claims, a lot of lawyers who would not invest in their client's claims. Of course, the client never knows. The client simply assumes they have a lawyer. The lawyer knows what he or she is doing. Right. But you know what? It's important to, as we say in the field, build up the claim. We have to get the right experts. We, we, the lawyers, the law firms, we have to invest. We have to put money in there. What does that mean? It means I have to pay these individuals to take their time to write these reports. It's very expensive. But what it does is it creates exposure on the insurance company. It means that the insurance company has to assess whether or not it's worthwhile for it to fight or settle now. And oftentimes, you know, it's it's like a battleground. If you're coming in there with superior weaponry, sure. if you're coming in there with a huge army, the other side is going to think twice if it takes if it makes any sense, you know, to take you on in a battle. You start quoting Sun Tzu here. It's, I, it's I'm going awesome. to quote Sun. I should write Sun Tzu. I think you should, right, right? from the lawyer's perspective. Exactly. We'll take a, a quick break. Uh, you want to join us anytime? You can email Savannah. That's help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. 416-216-5910, direct number to get a hold of them anytime. The Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio, AM640. The number is 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savannah anytime. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to an email here very shortly and get you into something called the Injury Calculator. Something you can use any home uh, or any time at home, either on your desktop, your uh, your smartphone, your tablet. First, I want to finish off the week that was. You got another uh, very interesting case came by your desk. Yeah, I do, and this is uh, this is a uh, long term disability case. So one of our lawyers came to speak with me earlier this week, and she had an interesting conundrum. She had a situation where she has an individual, very hardworking guy, um, has a semi physical job, injured his knee, and the problem is that. You know, we spoke before about uh, family physicians that don't necessarily help you when you're disabled. Well, this gentleman has a family doctor who I would say is overly helpful. Uh, And and I'll I'll explain what that means and and what situation that created for us. We have this individual who went to his family doctor because of his deteriorating knee condition and said, look, I'm having difficulty working. Uh, And so the uh, family doctor said, okay, well, you have to be off work. And he gave him a letter that says that he has to be off work. And of course, he's off work, but, you know, he needs to bring income home. He needs to be able to support his family. So then he goes to the family doctor and and asks for a letter that says, listen, uh, perhaps I I can do some work, but with modifications. And the family doctor says, yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, I believe you. I've known you for a long time. I'll give you that letter. He goes to, uh, to work with modifications but that's not good. So he goes back to the family doctor and says, family doctor, I still need a letter, another letter, uh, again, that says that I'm unable to work. I'm thinking about perhaps going on disability. So he tried, but he physically couldn't do it. Exactly. You got it. So the family doctor, again, gave him a letter saying, no, he can't do it. And so what happened, and I'm not going to bore you with the, the back and forth, but you're starting to see the picture here. The family doctor kept, uh, uh, kept giving him letters, you know, and, and he would zigzag. So one letter would say he cannot work. The other letter said he can work with modifications. Of course, when he finally applied for disability, the insurance company says, hold on for a second. We're looking at the family doctor's records, and the overall picture we're getting here is that you have an issue with your knee, but with modifications, you should be able to work. Mm -hmm. And of course, the latest letter says, no, he cannot work. But the problem here is that 
the family doctor's letters now all cancels themselves out. I mean, you can't really trust what the family doctor is now saying. And yeah, you can argue that perhaps the family doctor is, uh, you know, changing his opinion. He's entitled to change his opinion. You know, time passes, people get yep. better, people get worse. But again, it undermines uh, the credibility of this doctor and leaves the insurance company in a conundrum, right? I mean, they're in a situation now where they're looking at these letters and they're saying, you know what? Overall, in our view, you should be able to do some kind of work. So my associate comes to me and says, well, how do we deal with this issue? Because I believe this guy. I spoke with him on the phone. I've reviewed the documents. I'm looking at the letters. I have no doubt that this is a hardworking guy. I mean, again, think about this. If this was the type of guy, the type of gentleman that, uh, you know, simply decided to stay at home and collect a check at the end of the day, you know, after starting a claim, you wouldn't have all this zigzagging. Clearly, this is a guy who's, who's trying to go back to work, trying to mitigate, uh, but is unable to. And, but every time he goes to his family doctor, he creates more problems for his disability claim down the road yeah. because the family doctor is going back and forth on his opinions. So what I told him is this. There's a very simple way to deal with this. Uh, get a referral to an orthopedic specialist. Remember I said in the last yep. segment that there's somebody that I know uh, that deals with these kinds of issues. It doesn't have to be to him. Any orthopedic specialist, an orthopedic surgeon, someone who can assess uh, his knee injury, his knee disability, to give us an objective opinion as to whether or not he can, in fact, go back to work. If you end up getting a letter or a report from this orthopedic surgeon, someone who specializes in lower extremities, particularly in knees, and that person says, based on my clinical uh, uh, knowledge and experience and my assessment of this gentleman, he's unable to go back to work at this point, that should be it. That should be it for me. I would then present that to the insurance company and ask them, you know, to approve him. And if they said no, I would say, okay, well, this is the basis for now starting a claim against you. And guess what, insurance company? You're going to have to find your own orthopedic surgeon who's going to contradict what this orthopedic surgeon says. So my point is, you, you may have a situation where, you know, if you if anybody's out there that's in the same situation where, you know, you're trying to, to, to do what's right, you're trying to go back to work, but, you know, every time you're trying you're getting yourself into a, into a bigger, bigger mess because you're making your own uh, health condition worse. Your injury is deteriorating. Your family doctor, who's been very helpful, is zigzagging on these letters. And of course, the insurance company then says you don't qualify. There are ways around it. it, it we're, not, we're not lying. We're not trying to pull anything over the insurance company's eyes. We're just trying to get the right information, the right opinion from a specialist to present that to the insurance company and have the insurance company then acknowledge that there is now someone uh, with a specialty in in, in knees uh, that is giving this opinion. If someone goes back, to, if someone manages to, to mitigate and go back to work, say on light duties or modified duties, are they still getting some payment from an insurance company or it's either all or nothing? You're back at work, you get nothing from us, is that why insurance companies do it or do they get a reduced amount because they're doing some sort of work? That depends on the insurance policy that you're dealing with. Right, Remember, right. The insurance policies, uh, for the most part, are similar, but there are differences in them. And some of them will tell you, listen, here's what you need to qualify. You need to be able to do substantial amount, uh, sorry, substantial duties of your employment. Some of them will say, uh, you know, if, if you've reached a certain threshold in terms of how much you're earning on a monthly basis, then you don't qualify. Right. So it really depends on the policy, which is why it's so important that when someone calls us, we analyze the policy and we analyze the wording of it. And, you know, it doesn't take us a long time and it's free. That's, that's the interesting thing right. here is that, you know, it doesn't cost you anything to call us or to email us. We'll take a look at the stuff and we'll give you our opinion 
for free, so at least you know your options. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca through email. We'll get to the injury calculator and uh, get to a couple of your emails when we return with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM640. 416-216-5910. That's uh, Lior's number anytime. And the email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Tell me, tell me about the injury calculator. Injurycalculator.ca. We've been talking about this now uh, for for at least uh, a year, I think. Uh, it's an online tool. It's a free tool. It allows people to simply go on it, and within 20 to 30 seconds, uh, th- they input some information, you know, what kind of injury you suffered, whose fault was it. You don't have to put any names, any phone numbers, no identifying information. It's just a tool that allows you to calculate how much you are entitled to or could be entitled to in terms of compensation for your pain and suffering. So if you you know if if somebody uh, if 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 you were in a car accident, John, if you right. tripped and fell, uh, if if uh, you know you were on a motorcycle and you collided with someone, God forbid, and in any situation where you got injured and you're thinking about making a claim against the at fault party and you want to know, well, is it really worth it for me? You know, my broken foot, uh, my, my torn shoulder, a concussion, soft tissue injuries, chronic pain to your neck, to your back, typical injuries that we see day in and day out at the firm. If you want to know how much it is that, uh, you know, I could potentially be looking at for pain and suffering, just, that for, pain tool, and suffering. just for pain yeah. and suffering. That's a very, very good point because, you know, you may be entitled to $50,000 for uh, a, a busted knee, but maybe you're unable to go back to work or perhaps your hours are reduced or you're on modified duties for the next God knows how long. Or maybe you can't do any overtime hours and those hours, you know, used to be worth $10,000 a year. And you're 25 years old. And you're 25 years old, exactly. I mean, you can have a significant claim. But, you know, those kinds of calculations we have to do on a case-by-case basis because it's so specific to the situation. But at the very least, you know, people want to know, is it worthwhile for me to go to a lawyer to engage uh, the lawyer, their law firm? Does it make sense? And that tool allows you to see what other cases across the country have said about similar injuries. And that's the database you've pulled from, right? All the, all the homework's been done on the back. You got it. Yeah, right? we have yeah. a legal. We had the legal team that uh, went through the legal databases, and of course they're online. Uh, but you have to have access to them. What we did is we pulled them. We pulled the information out. We created an algorithm where you input your uh, age, uh, you know, where you were injured, the jurisdiction. Of course, you have different provinces, you know, with different amounts, which is why. For the same injury, let's say a busted knee, like we said before, you may get a certain range. Uh, perhaps you have a certain injury where the calculator says you're entitled to, let's say, seventy to $90,000. Well, that's because different jurisdictions across the country, judges have awarded different amounts depending on, on, on specific facts, you know, facts of the case. I mean, that could be a different price injury. Price, I say price, you know, use, use the term loosely, a price injury in Toronto than it would be in Medicine Act. Yeah, I mean, wow. it, it really depends. It really, really depends. Uh, but you know, but it, generally speaking, you know, when when we file a claim and we deal with insurance companies, the insurance companies are also aware of what uh, courts have awarded sure. in the past, and and w- w- you know, which is why when you actually have a claim, oftentimes the pain and suffering component of the claim is the easiest part to resolve. Because if I have someone, for example, that has an ankle fracture and that fracture, uh, you know, uh, healed within a certain period of time, that injury may, you know, be worth twenty, thirty thousand dollars. Just I'm speaking loosely. It depends on the facts of the case, you know. But it's it's not that difficult to come to an agreement with the insurance company on those amounts. What's usually more difficult to negotiate are income losses, out of pocket expenses, 
future treatments the person needs. Yeah. And again, very important to be able to speak with a lawyer to get uh, specific advice about your specific case. But if you just want to know how much you, you know, your friend, your family member may be entitled to if they start a claim for compensation just for pain and suffering, go to that online tool, injurycalculator.ca. Uh, you, you know, when you go on it, it's not asking you for a name or anything. No, but when you get your result, if you actually do want to contact me, you can just click the button and then it asks you, well, you know, what's your number? What's your email? But that's only if you press the button. Otherwise, I would not know that you were even on the website. Sanders from Ottawa writes in, says, my brother told me to email you because he listens to you all the time. Good man. I've uh, been suffering from bipolar disorder since I was in my early 20s, 37 now. I applied for long-term disability and got rejected. I appealed, but I haven't heard back for months. Should I just keep waiting or call them? Uh, should I have a lawyer deal with them now? What do you suggest? Well, Sandra, first of all, thank you for your brother uh, for, for emailing me. Uh, so so this, is, uh, this is interesting because, you know, we've spoken quite a lot about the appeals process. And again, I want to make it clear. My personal opinion is that these appeals for long-term disability are completely useless. That's not to say that you can never get a decision reversed. But what I find oftentimes is that it's a detour. It's a detour to the final destination. And oftentimes what happens with detours, it's a long way uh, to, 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 to get to a point where, you know, along the way you may get frustrated and you may get to a point where you simply give up. And what happens is that there is a first level of appeal, there's a second level of appeal. Aren't you appealing to the same people who cut you off? You're appealing to, yeah, I mean, listen, you're appealing to the insurance company, exactly. You're appealing to the same people who cut you off. You know, maybe maybe it's not it's not Jane, maybe it's Joe who's just in a cubicle, uh, you know, next to Jane. But, but you know, at the end of the day, it's the same people, it's the same team. Same mandate. Same mandate, exactly. And months and months may pass and you get frustrated and, of course, you know, you get emotionally uh, um, drained. drained. Do they count on that? Well, <laughs> Off Listen, the <laughs> I off the record, I th- I think they do. I yeah. think that the system is rigged. I, I I personally believe that there there is no proper oversight over these kinds of claims. I think that the strategy here, and again, you know, insurance companies are going to take a different view, and I respect that. But based on my experience, uh, I I believe that the idea is that listen, if we can deny enough claims. Enough people will walk away as opposed to getting legal advice and pursue claims, and there's going to be a pot of gold left over. Okay. That's how I see it. Yeah. You know, well, you're and, on the inside. Listen, yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly uh, defended insurance companies in the past, and I, I've saved insurance companies a lot of money, uh, either by dealing directly with individuals without lawyers, uh, and, and, you know, again, my obligation was to the insurance company. It was to save them money. It's to make sure that my, my, my client would not have to pay money, or I've dealt with lawyers who really just didn't care. They didn't care. They didn't do their job. Their clients never knew the difference. Uh, I've had cases where I sell for ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars when the claims were worth six figures, you know. And uh, frankly, it's just a crime. But I'm, you know, back then in my former life, I was defending and representing insurance companies. It's that simple. So, Sandra, to go back to uh, to, to your case, so you know, you've had bipolar, which is a very serious condition for a long, long time. I don't understand why you got rejected. I mean, presumably you have specialists, a psychologist or a psychiatrist that's that's you're dealing with. I would want to see the medical reports. Based on your on your email, you should have qualified. I would want to see the policy. It's literally going to take me minutes to figure out where everything went wrong here. And, and I can tell you, just based on, on your email here, if you're unable to work and you have medical support for your total disability that you can't do any work, you should qualify. And I would probably write the insurance company a letter. I would enclose the latest reports and I would give them a deadline uh, of let's say 10 business days. After that, we would start a claim. And what's a claim again? A claim is 
you know, in legal speak, a gun to the insurance company's head. They have to respond. They have to react, which is why they ha- they, they they end up paying in most in most instances. We're going to do one show one weekend just about the inside scoop of insurance companies. I'm waiting for the book. Anytime. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, in the meantime, we'll uh, we'll take a uh, quick break. Number is 416-216-5910. That's a number to get a hold of Savannah directly. And the email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's right here on Talk Radio AM 640. 416-216-5910. Savannah's number directly and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Let's get on the topic since we talk a lot about it on the show. And that would be long-term disability. So how does a person apply for LTD if they're disabled? Let's start from the beginning. I'm going to deal with that question in a second, John, right. but just on what you said the last show about having a show about the inside scoop, yeah. you know, I, um, I don't know if you remember, the listeners remember, but uh, I don't know, it was months ago where I had, I was dealing with a fairly large insurance claim and I got a call from a gentleman, I think I even mentioned him on the air, I didn't mention the name, uh, a gentleman who worked in the insurance industry for several decades and we ended up going for coffee uh, because he took issue with a few points that I had made, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, I think we reconciled, uh, saw eye to eye at the end of the day. But, you know, it's interesting, when we had that coffee, uh, we had some off-the-record discussions, and we were talking about some insurance companies, how some of them are much worse than others. Sure. And, and, you know, the... the it's always the, that way. It's always that way. And, and, you know, and the various uh, uh, um, uh, inside uh, type of, of things that happen with insurance companies. I mean, listen, guys... Uh, if, you know, for people who are listening, I I uh, I, I got to tell you what you see in the movies. I'm not saying everything you see in the movies with insurance companies is true, but oh my God, there's a lot of it that is true. <laughs> really? There is one uh, one um, uh, one of the top uh, personal injury lawyers uh, probably in the country uh, that, that I'm familiar with and I know used to work for the insurance industry. In fact, he was one of the big kahunas as a defense lawyer. He was one of the go-to guys in the defense industry. And when he switched sides and started doing plaintiff work, someone once told me uh, uh, that, uh, you know, they heard him say, you know, when I started working for plaintiffs against insurance companies, I thought to myself, my God, is it possible that insurance companies are as bad, you know, as, as you know, John Grisham and, and those guys yeah, right, write right. about? And, and, you know, as he was doing more and more plaintiff work, uh, he, he said to himself, yeah, yeah, they're as bad. And, and after about 10, 10 years or so went by and he was doing this plaintiff work against insurance companies, he concluded they're worse. They're worse wow. than, what, than, what, than what you read about. And, and a, a, again, listen, I mean, insurance hey, companies the are in the business of making entity, money, right? but sure. I, I'll tell you. And again, listen, there's a lot of adjusters out there and I know them personally. They're good people. But I take issue with a lot of tactics that insurance companies use and their and, and their lawyers. Uh, and, and, you know, a, a lot of times it's, it's just not above board. Again, because you've been there. You work there. I, I, I've yeah. been there. I've been yeah. there, and you know, they're businesses, but but you know, there are certain things that are ethical and certain things that are not. And at the end of the day, you know, there's also a lot of fraud on the other side. There are a lot of people who are trying to make claims, and I see them, by the way. I mean, when someone comes to me, I assess whether or not uh, the person is telling me the truth or not, because I'm not gonna, I, I'm not gonna work for anyone who's trying uh, to rip off. Who's trying to rip? Somebody. Exactly. Totally. Exactly. And and, and I, I can I, again, I can smell bull a mile away. Uh, and a lot of lawyers don't care about that. For them, it's a volume game. You know, the more claims we start, you know, even if we make a thousand bucks per claim, you know, whatever, we have a thousand claims on the go. That's not the way we operate. And that's why it's so crucial, by the way, to make sure that when you go to a lawyer or a law firm, you go to somebody with a reputation, somebody that has knowledge um, and experience and, and, and someone that has, uh, you know, the, the know-how to, to advance your, uh, your interest. So let, let me go to that question you asked. How does a person apply for long-term disability if they are, in fact, disabled? Yeah. 
Well, the first thing I think you, you should do or can do is is uh, just go to your HR department. Contact your HR person in your company. Most companies have them. Uh, and, and just ask them, how do I go about making a claim? Because they're going to put you in touch with a disability insurer. They're probably going to point you to the right forms. Uh, and they're going to tell you, you need to supply, along with your application, uh, medical reports or medical proof of your disability. So that's really, really crucial. If you don't have an HR person, but you know who the disability insurer is, you can contact them directly. Just Google their number, unless you have the, you probably have the booklet, uh, and, and there's going to be instructions or on how to do it. Yeah, you know? it's not that difficult. Yeah. The, the key thing about these things is about making an application is that you put your best foot forward. You make sure that you go to your doctor, whether it's the family doctor or a specialist or both. Make sure you get updated reports you know, I'm talking about like as of last week, as of as of two weeks ago, not as of a year ago, mm-hmm. and make sure that the reports and the letters from the doctors deal directly with your disability. You don't want a one-liner that says this person is disabled, they can't work. That's not enough. The doctors have to be able to say, here's why, you know, he, he, here's here's the history. So, so g- generally, I mean, the more robust these letters are, the more credibility they're going to have sure. with the insurance company. If you, Ryan, a lot of people out there work for companies and they don't have, as, as part of their benefit package, they don't have LTD, do you recommend or can people go outside to get third-party they can. disability coverage? Yeah, yeah, they can, absolutely. And again, you can Google, uh, you know, long-term disability. I highly recommend that. Uh, you know, generally speaking, if you are working and something happens and you can't work, I'm not talking about cases like a car accident where you have excellent benefits, but you know you can go on EI sick benefits. But again, those are going to be very temporary. Yeah. Uh, it's X amount of weeks, and and then that's it. Uh, some companies have shortened disability either through a third party or they themselves pay shortened disability. Uh, but you know you should definitely be inquiring with the company you're working with if they have LTD because it's definitely a nice safety net to have. You never know what's going to happen. We got about a minute left too in this one. What uh, what's a qualifying period? So it's qualifying period. Is, it's a time between the onset of the disability okay. and when the LTD benefits become payable, uh, and and really it starts when the plan member stops working because of a disability. Depending on on the group benefits contract, the qualifying period lasts for a specific number of calendar or working days. Uh, or it may be counted in weeks. So, for example, 120 days or 17 weeks. And, and usually that's a time frame where you would normally be entitled to short-term disability or perhaps EI sick benefits. Right. You know, but but the, the point is that when you become disabled, you know, if today you became disabled, John, you can't just apply and get disability LTD as of tomorrow. There is that qualifying period. Okay. And different policy have different restrictions and different wording depending on that. But that's what it is. It means that there is a period of time between when you became disabled and when you actually start receiving uh, your disability. We'll get to uh, a couple more emails as we uh, progress here through the show, talk a little more about uh, LTD as well. This is the Insurance Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. The number to get a hold of Savannah even when the show is uh, not on, 416-216-5910, and it is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Talking about uh, long-term disability, some points, some questions thrown at you here. I'll give you this one. Does a disabled person pay tax on their LTD payments? Everybody always must ask you that. Oh, 100% they ask that, uh, especially when uh, you know we settle with the insurance company. And that's the first question that comes to yeah. mind is, well, what happens? I mean, do I pay tax? Because technically, what's LTD? It's income. It's, it's income, right. Uh, so, you know, let, let me just put it out there. I'm not an accountant. Uh, so if you have that question because of your own personal situation or a family or a friend, make sure you talk to an accountant that deals with these kinds of things. Most accountants will be able to give you that information. Generally speaking, if the employer 
contributed or paid for the LTD program through work, through work, okay, then you're going to be taxed, okay. But, but you're right. But there is an exception in in the law uh, that if you are the one who actually paid for it privately, even if it was through the employer, by the way, but you are the one who actually paid a hundred percent of the premiums, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. it's not going to be taxed. Uh, generally, it's not going to be taxed. But if you contribute to your, if you contribute, yeah. the law is a bit mixed. But generally speaking, I can tell you that if the employer paid any portion of it, then generally it's going to be taxed. Damn, get that? For, yeah. over a, no, no tax. And that's, and that's, but you know, that's yeah. a huge thing. So for example, yeah. the lady we spoke about, uh, you know, earlier today when we started the show, the one I told you that has an employment issue mm-hmm. and a human rights issue and uh, her family doctor is not helping her because uh, he's working, has a relationship with the employer. Yeah. So that lady actually said to me, she says, one of the reasons she's so upset that the disability insurer for denying her her claim is that she actually paid those premiums for LTD in full. The employer never contributed anything. So, so she that, shouldn't be paid. Exactly. So, so when we end up starting a claim for her and settling the case, and when she gets that settlement check, it's going to be tax-free. Nice. So, yeah, that's I a mean, very good question. Yeah, exactly. How, about, how long can someone get LTD? I know it's long-term disability, but how long is it generally? So generally it's to age 65. But again, make sure that you read your policy. Um, it's, it's, it's key. Some policies, uh, those are a bit more rare. Uh, the limited, let's say for, for five years or so, uh, some of them, uh, you know, are golden policies where it goes even beyond age 65. It really depends on the policy, but generally it's age 65. And again, one of those things that you want to check, uh, if you haven't, you may think, uh, or know that you have LTD coverage, but you may not know until when that coverage is going to be. And so let's say, uh, you know, you're 47 and you got disabled, maybe your policy only runs for five years. Well, you know what? That could be a problem. So you definitely want to check into that. We'll get to uh, an email here before we close for the, uh, for the remainder of the show. Janet writes in from Hamilton, says, I was in a car accident about a year ago and was getting income replacement benefits from my insurance company, but stopped paying after I went on uh, to one of their doctors. I already settled by myself with the insurance company for the, the other driver that was at fault for $10,000. Oi. Uh, can I do anything about my own insurer cutting me off? I'm 43 years old and used to make about 37000 a year. Well, your OI uh, says a lot, John. You've yeah. done the show enough with me now to know that we have several major issues here. Uh, so let's dissect this really quickly. Uh, Janet, you were in a car accident. You were receiving income replacement benefits. Uh, your insurance company stopped paying you after you went to one of their doctors. Not unusual. Usually when you get sent to one of the insurance company's doctors, it's because the insurance company is gearing up to try and cut you off. They're going to deny that. They're going to say, no, 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 we just want to see what our doctors say. But why would they want you to see one of right. their doctors? Of one of the doctors that they are paying to see you. It's usually because those doctors know what kind of reports are expected of them. Now, the huge red flag here is this. I already settled by, my, by myself with the insurance company for the other driver for $10,000. You're often going to have insurance companies for the at-fault parties. Call you right away. Call you. Mm-hmm. They're going to ask you for an authorization uh, to sign a release for medical information. And at some point, they're going to come at you with, with a checkbook. And they're going to say, listen, we'll cut you a check right now. Five grand, 10 grand, 15 grand. I've even seen as high as 50 grand, John. And people who are in dire situations say, yes, let's do it. Now realizing the claims are worth perhaps 10 times as much. But once you sign that release, Janet, once you signed it, you're done. You cannot come back and say, oh, it was duress. No one held a gun to your head. 
They didn't come to you to your home and say, you better, you know, the Godfather thing, yeah. an offer you can't refuse. Yeah. No, no one put a gun to your head. see through socks and <laughs> your door, right? Yeah, it didn't happen that way. Maybe in the U.S., but yeah. not here. <laughs> that's, that's not what probably happened here, Janet. Uh, and, and I'll tell you more on this, John. I wouldn't be surprised if the insurance company here probably told her that she can get independent legal advice yeah. because they would have covered their butts. Yeah. You know, she's saying she's 43 years old and she used to make 37 grand a year and she's still not working from what I understand. Holy macros. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. You cannot reverse the decision here, okay? Uh, can you do anything about your own insurance company? Yes, we can do something about that. As long as you don't sign that release, we can probably help you. But the reality is, Janet, that the fact that you settled by yourself for a minuscule amount with the insurance company for the other driver, you just gave them a gift. Well, not now, but probably back right. then when you signed the release, that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars that is owed, that was owed to you. But you, by having signed that release, you've now foreclosed that possibility. So again, if you're out there, don't negotiate with insurance companies by yourself. If you do so, and you, you're not in the industry, you do it at your own peril. It, it's just, it, it's a, that's a fact. Until next time, always contact a lawyer. It's a scary thing. It's the same as Lior with people signing severance packages without talking to him. We see it every day. Every day, John. Every day, especially because of the show. People contact us and, and, you know, they ask us, can we reverse this? I had a client one time who I think maybe left me about 20 different messages trying to convince me that I should try and reverse the the, the release that he signed. I I kept saying in 20 different ways, you can. That's done. It's done. You signed it. Until next time, the number 416-216-5910. That'll put you in touch with Savannah directly. You want to drop an email, that's easy as well. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And make sure when you got some time, go online, check out www.injurycalculator.ca as well. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640.